Is COVID-19 a health issue or a control issue? I actually think that Big Farm is more powerful than the federal government. That's how powerful I think Big Farm is. And it's really a shame. I do, it is within Congress's power to change this. Um, they have given, they've shielded them from the effects of their products. And if Congress withdrew that shield, then I believe Big Pharma would produce cleaner products. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today, Jan and her guest, Twyla Braze, look at many issues in the world of health. Why are prominent people talking about the next pandemic? We're not finished with the current pandemic yet. What about all of the vaccine-injured victims? Apparently, we cannot trust big government because very little they told us about COVID-19 was true. And now we are hearing about digital IDs, which are setting the stage for the Antichrist and the Tribulation. Here are Jan Markell and Twyla Braze with today's uninterrupted programming. I, along with many Americans, have long-term effects from COVID. Not only was I a long hauler, but I have effects from the vaccine. It wasn't the first shot, but it was the second shot that I now developed asthma that has never gone away since I had the second shot. Um, I have tremors in my left hand, and I have the occasional heart pain that no doctor can explain, and I've had a battery of tests. I find it extremely alarming Twitter's unfettered censorship spread into medical fields and affected millions of Americans by suppressing expert opinions from doctors and censoring those who disagree with the CDC. I have great regrets about getting the shot because of the health issues that I now have that I don't think are ever going to go away. Welcome to the program. I know that was a little bit ominous and we're going to spend the hour on some health issues. We're going to talk about digital ID, long COVID, we're going to discuss some of the COVID vaccine or injection fallout. Is there another pandemic on the horizon? Well, Bill Gates thinks so. I'll play a clip of him so stating. So do other organizations like the World Health Organization. In the open to the program, you heard about a 20-second clip of Dr. Simone Gold saying that Big Pharma is more powerful than the federal government. Now think about that for just a moment, folks. There are few listeners to this program who don't need to tap into the pharmaceutical industry now and then, and many of us are thankful for some of the options that they come up with, but is their influence, their power, their outreach greater than the U.S. federal government? Well, that's what some think. You then heard a clip that was Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina. She is so stating she's vaccine injured big time. Millions of people are vaccine injured. And many in the medical industry are in denial. You've heard Scott Shera on this program who lost his daughter Grace to hospital abuse, a hospital in Wisconsin considered Grace, who was handicapped and inconvenienced, and they assisted in her death one and a half years ago. In Canada, euthanasia is more and more accepted, even pushed by the government. Will it be here in America quite soon? I believe it will be. I have often played clips of Naomi Wolf. She is a business CEO and author, an outspoken critic of where we have been with health issues. And I have noted her stunning quote that she knew there was a God when she saw the evil that surrounded the COVID agenda. 
but I started my relationship with talking with you like a year or a year and a half ago when I wrote that first essay where I said, you know, I believe in God now more literally because I see that something very dark is, is taking aim at God, right. And at human beings, um, that initial conversation, I feel that that dynamic of what I was describing has developed and moved along so much more dramatically. It's like the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell are coexisting side by side on planet earth. Now, Naomi, to my knowledge, is not a believer. She's Jewish. She's a thinker and a CEO. She's an author. But observing the entire COVID phenomenon caused her to seriously think about good and evil because throughout the pandemic, she has witnessed absolute evil. We can even talk about it here in the coming moments. At present, almost 7 million died globally from COVID, and a little over 1.1 million Americans have died from the illness. And my in-studio guest and I have gone through an ordeal with it as well. Joining me for the hour is Twyla Brace. She is co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom, operating here out of the Twin Cities, as do I. And she has been an outspoken health leader speaking out on COVID injections, digital IDs, how to deal with COVID, how to deal with long COVID. We'll talk about that here in just a few moments. So Twyla, welcome back to the program. So glad to be here. Thanks, Jan. As you can see, I've got pages of notes before me. We'll try to hit as much as possible. So let me ask you this, because in my observation, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, HHS, public health agencies all we have watched them do for about three years is lie. How are we to trust such agencies? They have caused harm. They have caused the loss of life. They have ruined businesses. They have harmed the education of children, teenagers, and college students. Who do we turn to when we realize we cannot turn to governmental health agencies because they do not know the meaning of truth? I think what the American public realizes is that the federal agencies have done an injustice to them, especially with Dr. Burks now telling Fox News that she always knew that the vaccine would not stop the infection. Well, that is never what she said. That's never what any of the federal officials said. They all claimed that it was not only going to stop infection, it was going to keep you from infecting grandmother. And now we know, of course, it doesn't even stop transmission. So you have all these lies. And the interesting thing is that the health officials know that they've lost the trust of the public because there's been some articles now about the CDC revamping, trying to recapture the public's trust. But then I looked with interest in their revamping that they're going to build a new office of health data surveillance and technology. So I don't think that that's going to make anybody else trust them because surveillance never leads to trustworthiness. I think one of the saddest things that's taken place over the last three years is that healthcare has been harmed very seriously. There's now a shortage of doctors and nurses, and you and I have talked about that, and we have wait times to get in to see a doctor. In my experience, is now six and seven months wait, which is a la Canada. That has been their story for years. We have many who have dropped out of the medical profession rather than take an injection, or, as you have prized me, some of them, and I'm talking doctors primarily here, are feeling they're spending way too much time on electronic health records and way too little time on patients. Point being, the healthcare industry is harmed. We're losing health professionals. You throw that in the mix of what we're talking about this hour. And in the natural, it can be terrifying to some people. Can you address this healthcare crisis, doctor shortage, nursing shortage? 
There's so many angles of it. And as you said, there are doctors that have left the profession. Yeah. They have left the care of the patients. They've left because they were going to be forced to be injected, or they've left because they couldn't use the medications they knew would save patients. And so they said, I can't put this together with my conscience and go to sleep at night. And right. so I'm leaving. I might start my own individual practice out here, but I'm no longer going to be in the ICU saving patients because my hospital won't let me. But then there are also the electronic health record, which has become a complete burden to doctors. There was an article recently written by a physician where it was called Death by 10,000 Clicks. And it was really talking about all the time that the doctors, the interns, the residents are spending on the electronic health record, mm -hmm. which is up to 40% of their time versus Amazing. only 12% of their time with hands-on patient care. And this is really demoralizing to lots of them who expected to be a doctor, not a data clerk. The rate of suicide of physicians has escalated, but then there's something else I don't think that people really know about that's happening. Under the Affordable Care Act, there was about $1.7 billion given to train nurse practitioners and other non-physicians. Okay. A lot of nurses have been leaving floor nursing and getting trained to be a nurse practitioner, which is a much higher paid job, leaving the floor of the hospitals. And so when you look at the staffing shortages at the hospitals, this is part of the reason okay. for it. But in addition to that, there's an article by NPR Nashville, and it was reported by Kaiser Health News. They're clearly concerned about the fact that some hospitals are having nurse practitioners run the emergency room. Mm. And the fact of the matter is I'm a nurse, and I could become a nurse practitioner with about 500 to 1,000 hours more. I'm an emergency room nurse. But in all my eight years of emergency room nursing, I would never run the ER. I would never do it. I think this is a danger that patients don't understand that the corporations egged on by the government and all this funding are really moving to exchange physicians for non-physicians. This is one thing that I hear from patients is that they can't actually get a doctor. Another reason some left the profession is they simply refused the injection. And we have talked down here, here, Twyla, that the vaccine is not a vaccine. And here's just a quick clip because we have professionals in all sorts of fields that are leaving, who've had to step down, who are not being hired because of these vaccine slash injection issues. My name is Bob Snow. I'm a captain, been a captain for a number of years. My total service with the company is over 31 years. On November 7th, I was mandated to receive a vaccine. Quite literally, I was told if I did not receive the vaccination, I would be fired. This was from our director of flight. So, under duress, I received the vaccine. Uh, now, just a few days ago, after landing in Dallas, six minutes after we landed, I passed out. Uh, I coded. I required three shocks. I need to be intubated. I'm now in the ICU in Dallas. This is what the vaccine has done for me. I will probably never fly again, uh, based upon the criteria that the FAA establishes for pilots. I was hoping to teach my daughter to fly. She wants to be a pilot. That will probably never happen. All courtesy of the vaccine. This is unacceptable and I am one of the victims. You can see that this is the actual result of the vaccine for some of us. Mandatory, no questions asked, get the shot or you're fired. This is not the American way. 
So we've heard from Representative Mace. We've heard from a pilot here. This is not an unusual story. There's probably millions of such stories. I'm sure you hear from them all the time. I have in front of me something you have written, which is basically six little-known facts about the vaccine with quotes around. Why don't you explain why you even put quotes around the word vaccine? Well, I put the quotes around vaccine because the original meaning before it was changed seemingly several times by the federal agencies was that if you got a vaccine, it gave you immunity. That's right. And that immunity was defined as preventing you from getting the disease. And now we know that countless people who have had the so-called vaccine have had COVID many times. Let me just hit some bullet points and we'll do it literally in minutes. But I feel that these six little known facts people should know. And you write, how did the healthcare system go from, this is profound, by the way, how did it go from a compassionate, caring, affordable, charitable endeavor to an impersonal rushed system where too many patients fear the costs more than their condition. And then you go on to the little-known facts about the COVID-19 shots. You say, number one, unknown exit in separate interviews. Three physicians, two of them pathologists, one from the UK, have said variations of they don't know where the mRNA goes. They have no idea when it stops producing spike proteins. They have no idea how to stop it from producing the toxic protein. There were no studies on these questions. Number two, she lied, talking about Dr. Deborah Burks, former head of White House COVID-19 Task Force. She said in a television interview, she always knew the vaccine would not work to stop infection, but that is not what she said publicly. Number three, blind eye. The CDC did not start analyzing injection injuries reported to the CDC FDA Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, or VAERS, until 15 months after the shots began. Four, higher risk of infection. A study from the Cleveland Clinic says the more shots you get, the higher the risk of getting COVID-19. Folks, that is from the Cleveland Clinic. Number five, wrong antibodies. The boosters are likely not working because of immune imprinting. In short, the body locked into the first injection, which was the original Wuhan virus, which is no longer in circulation. Number six, immune malfunction. After COVID-19 infection, one study found only 40% of those vaccinated against COVID-19 produced antibodies against the virus, while 93% of the unvaccinated produced antibodies against COVID-19. And then you ask, is the injection negatively impacting the immune system? I think that if you take what has happened there and you look at the fact that the people who are uninjected produced antibodies, or you look at the fact that the people who are getting the boosters now, the boosters aren't working because it's called immune imprinting. The body just locked on to the Wuhan, and now the immune system is not working against the booster. It's a good question to ask. Is that what has happened here? You want to comment on any of the other bullet points that I read from the talking points here? I wrote them because I thought that they would speak for themselves, but I do think that nobody has really heard that first one very much at all, with these doctors, one from the UK, one from Australia, one from the US, all basically saying they don't know when the mRNA stops producing the spike protein. And the spike protein is what causes the damage to the insides of your vessels. That is the toxin. There's another study that says that they found it 15 months later. How long does it stay in the body? What's it doing in the body? When does it stop? 
that was never really looked at for the studies because they did them so quickly. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. I have in studio with me kind of a familiar voice now, that of Twyla Brace. She's co-founder of Citizens Council for Health Freedom, cchfreedom.org, if you have further questions, cchfreedom.org. She's author of the book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. Say, quick reminder, we have an Understanding the Times one-night conference coming up Thursday, March 16th, here in the Twin Cities, 7 to 9 p.m. Central. Our guest for the evening, Pastor Tom Hughes. Live stream it at markhenryministries.com or the Olive Tree app. Find it post-program at olivetreeviews.org, then to video. If you want to attend, the location is Revived Church, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, 7849 West Broadway Avenue, Brooklyn Park. Plenty of seats. Again, Thursday, March 16th. Live stream, markhenryministries.com or use the Olive Tree app. Pastor Tom Hughes and co-host Mark Henry and yours truly. Twyla, something is happening on May the 11th. Why don't you describe what we hope is happening and why has this taken so long? So I believe it was the last day of January where President Biden announced that both the national emergency related to COVID-19 and the public health emergency related to COVID-19 would be lifted on May 11th. I believe he was pressured into doing that because the very next day, the U.S. House, which is now run by the Republicans, was planning to vote on, I think they had maybe six different bills, but one of them would have called for and lifted the national emergency for COVID. So I think he wanted to be the first one to do it. Now, whether or not this is actually going to happen is a really good question. He can choose not to lift it and say, well, circumstances have changed. And the reason why there might be some pressure to do that is because of how much money that continues to flow while the emergencies remain in effect, or how many people remain in Medicaid as a result of the emergencies being in effect. I think there's 15 to 17 million that are ineligible, but they're still getting Medicaid coverage because of the emergencies. This all began approximately mid-March of 2020, and Donald Trump brought together, sadly, Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks, again, they're longtime arch leftists. Why he trusted them, we may never know. And they proceeded to undo the country, which now is history. Tragic to have to watch. The big question is, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment, is another pandemic around the corner. Personally, I think something will come along. I don't want to go there quite yet. Did you have any idea back in March of 2020 where we would be almost exactly three years later? No, I didn't. And the fact of the matter is I was asked to speak on a webinar called Flattening the Curve, and it was in June, and this was April, right? And I thought this thing is going to be canceled because how long could this go on? But I remember on the 13th of March, we were actually having an anniversary for the organization. And then when it was all done, I got the news that Walls, our governor in Minnesota, had said that everybody had to go home and work from home for two weeks or 15 days to flatten the curve. That's how it began. That sounded fairly innocent. 
And I'm like, he can't tell me to shut the office. Why? But it was going to be a charge of $25,000, which our organization was not wanting to spend if we were found in violation. So then we had to. And that was the first realization of the violation of our rights that I felt that very day. Yes. And three years later, the destruction is staggering. I haven't quite left this so-called vaccine, which it really isn't. And again, Thailand to ban Pfizer after Princess falls into a coma. And the article says just days after receiving her COVID booster jab, the daughter of the King of Thailand collapsed and fell into a coma. Princess so-and-so, who is potential heir to the Thai throne, grave condition. She's very young, appears to be in her 20s. Some reports suggest she suffered a heart attack. Her family were told she likely suffered a bacterial infection. Nonetheless, six weeks later, the princess is still in a coma and being kept alive by machines. Whoever would have thought, going back as we did to March 13th, 2020, obviously millions killed by the illness itself, but the destruction again, some of the fallout, not the least of which is this injection and its damage, I don't think people were prepared for and still may not be. No, I don't think they were prepared for it. They were not properly advised. Everything that could have saved them was denied. In Newsweek, there is a medical student researcher. It's Newsweek, right? And his message in his op-ed is that we in the scientific community were wrong. And as a result, thousands, if not millions of people died. And I think those kind of admissions, so we're seeing them, they're popping up in Twitter. Now, Newsweek, that's a major magazine. So there is some acknowledgement on the fact of people who should have known better that they were misled by the public health authorities and they're not happy about it. Mayor Adams of New York City is open to bringing back more tyranny. He said the people should not have a choice here when it comes to how we're going to treat a pandemic, specifically in this case, COVID-19. And he's not even happy that some of the mandates have been lifted in New York and other places. He says, people, you got to listen to government, which is the biggest catastrophic word of advice probably of the century. Yes. A tyrant will always be a tyrant. That is true. New York keeps electing them, though, consistently. There's something wrong with the voting mind out there. And here's a story that just broke a few days ago, headline Gateway Pundit. Biden regime negotiates legally binding deal to give Chinese-backed World Health Organization full authority over U.S pandemic policies. goes on to say the World Health Organization has scheduled a meeting for Monday, February 27th, so members can work out the final terms. Once America signs on to this agreement, we will be completely at the mercy of the globalist organization, which helped the Chinese Communist Party cover up the original COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. This reported by Gateway Pundit and Epoch Times, this tragic destruction being caused by the Biden regime, it just continues in a stunning and tragic manner. Twyla, I want to play one more clip and then I want to quote you because it ties into this. And that is what might be around the corner. Bill Gates says that normalcy only returns when we vaccinate the entire population. And then he says rather ominously, I'm not sure how he has this insight unless he plans on instigating what's coming next. Then he says, this isn't the last pandemic. The next one will get everyone's attention as though this one did not. Let's talk about misinformation, because that has been a hallmark, unfortunately, of this pandemic. President Biden rather famously said last July that misinformation on social media is killing people. Do you agree? Absolutely. 
Uh, it's been weird that, you know, vaccines have been attacked as, you know, being overall net negative or there's some conspiracy here. It's terrible. Well, some of it affects you. You're, yeah. you're part of these conspiracy theories. That is a very weird thing that just because I support vaccines save millions of lives, people are saying no. I, you know, I make money from vaccines. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that. And it kind of stunned me. Can you walk us through the math? In a Wall Street essay, Bill Gates declared vaccines the best investment I've ever made. There's been over a 20 to 1 return. So if you just look at the economic benefits, uh, that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else. People are saying, no, I, you know, I make money from vaccines or that I'm trying to, you know, cause death or track or uh, a lot of strange stuff. Um, hard to understand why that is. We're taking things that are, you know, genetically modified organisms and we're injecting them in little kids' arms. We just shoot them right into the vein. For the world at large, normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. And well, this won't be the last pandemic that we face. So we, you know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. So now, Twyla, we heard Bill Gates, and again, he feels that the answer to the world's problems, at least health problems, would be that every person on earth become vaccinated in one way or another. And then you write in one of your newsletters, you say COVID as a disease and as a policy issue isn't going away. A lot of people think because of this May 11th proclamation coming up, maybe they're putting all of this in a rearview mirror. I don't know, but people are still getting sick on a daily basis. Again, going back to what you're writing, you say... COVID restrictions, mask mandates, injection mandates continue in spots across the country. Colleges are putting young people in danger with the injection mandate. Some healthcare workers are still required to get the injection. Meanwhile, embalmers are sharing stories about fibrous-like clots they're finding in the suddenly dead, something that they first began to see in 2021 after the COVID injections began. Where do you see things going? COVID is a coronavirus, and coronaviruses, they come, they go, they circulate the globe, right? We may or may not have immunity because of this whole vaccine program. There were people at the very beginning talking about you should never vaccinate in the midst of a pandemic because it gives the virus the opportunity to escape. Immune escape is another word for that. It's possible that that is what has transpired here. People are still getting COVID. People are getting COVID multiple times. Some people are still dying from COVID. Early treatment is still not the standard of care that's out there. More masks are reemerging around the country. Some hospitals have said no, they've taken them off, but they're the rare one. I think there's still a lot of fear. I don't feel like it's necessarily going away because those who want to use it to impose controls have not yeah. been willing to yeah. relinquish them. Would you like more information? Visit Twyla Brace website, Citizens Council for Health Freedom, cchfreedom.org, cchfreedom.org. We're going to get here in just a moment or two to long COVID. And apparently that's even something you have experienced. Thankfully, I don't believe I have, but I'm reading more and more about long COVID. First, I don't want to quite leave the injection topic. We have all sorts of people listening right now. Some of them said, I'll never take that injection. Well, 
I don't know how long it's going to be possible to do that, folks, and I hope it's forever, but I kind of doubt it's forever, just because, again, people are using that for controlling issues. There are many people listening right now who've received this injection, Twyla. The more they have read and learned, they're really, really regretting it. And others are taking huge issue with what we're talking about. They believe these COVID vaccines, and I'm not anti-vaccine. I don't think you are either. There are certain vaccines that are rather imperative, maybe not this one. And you and I were talking a little bit before the program, and those who've gotten this vaccine and who regret it and now don't know what to expect. And of course, our times are in his hands. God has, before the beginning of time, determined when everyone listening to this program is going to be passing on or going to heaven in the rapture of the church. Hopefully everyone listening. Did you want to comment on that? So about the idea of the fear that people have or the fact that they don't even like what we're talking about here. What people don't even understand is their own response to the vaccine might depend on their own physiology or the batch. So this is something that the Australian physician who's worried about how long does the mRNA actually continue, but he was talking about the difference in the batches and that this can be a really big deal because some batches might be more pure, some batches may have had more care, some may have had less. If you know the batch that you had, some people are now starting to look at the batches. But fear isn't going to be helpful. If you look at those six points that I provided, those just tell you don't take another one. Now, if you look at the Cleveland study, they will say that it helped prevent severe disease and hospitalization. They did have that there, but they did also say that it's very clear the more boosters you get, the more shots you get, the more likely it is that you will get infected with COVID. And then the real question that I have is if you get infected with COVID, are you properly treating yourself? Are you prepared with the early treatment kit? Like is in our COVID guide, right? Are you prepared? Because as long as you're prepared, you're probably going to get through it without a problem. That's a good reminder is the COVID-19 quick reference guide. Immediate steps to reduce your risk of COVID-19 and, quote, long-haul COVID disease, cchfreedom.org. You can find it there. You've had way over 100,000 people download that. One more clip before I want to move on here, and that would be Dr. Peter McCullough, wonderful cardiologist. I actually heard him a year ago here in Minneapolis. He said, normally, if a vaccine is causing even 50 deaths, 50 deaths, it's pulled off the market. As we speak, it's tens and tens of thousands of people harmed. We'll leave it at that. As many as we heard Representative Nancy Mace say, she's functioning. She's obviously very active in Congress, but she is stating she is now harmed for life because of taking this vaccine. This month, the World Council for Health, which represents 70 bodies worldwide, has called for a global recall of all vaccines because worldwide, 40,000 deaths that the safety databases across the world, 40,000 in the big ones, VAERS, the yellow card system, the VigiSafe, and the UGIS system. 40,000 deaths with the vaccines, unacceptably high. Typical standard for any biologic product is 50 deaths, pull it off the market, something's gone wrong. 50, not 40,000. So when there is a global recall by an international organization, this committee ought to be having emergency meetings. What are we going to do? A worldwide body has called for these to pull off the market. They're still giving it. You just heard from the pharmacy director ahead of me. He's still giving them out. 
when there's a worldwide call, uh, call recall, there should be some committee meeting so you have it down. That's kind of a profound little clip I found. Your thoughts on that, Twyla Brace? One thing in relation to what he just said is that the CDC added the COVID-19 shot to the childhood immunization schedule. So despite the fact of all of these deaths, and I think we might not even know how many deaths, the VAERS system, all of those deaths, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other deaths that never, ever got registered. When the CDC looked into the data, when they finally looked, they got a Freedom of Information Act request, they got a letter from the attorney, and they finally looked 15 months later, right? And they found safety signals, which means signs of harm. Safety signals, more than 70,000 for cardiovascular conditions, more than 50,000 for neurological conditions. That's a lot of safety signals, but they weren't looking. I have in front of me, and you just referenced it, article PJ Media, CDC adds COVID vax to routine immunization schedules for children according to its updated schedules. The CDC now recommends that all children 6 months to 15 months have a two-dose or three-dose main series and booster, and that all children 18 months and older get the same vaccinations. As we've reported many times, again, this is PJ Media, children are largely unaffected by COVID-19, while the long-term effects of the vaccine are still unknown. I'll stop there, but I know your thoughts on children getting this injection. Do you want to comment? All I would say about that is that the cardiology impact, right, the myocarditis, I think we have no idea how many children, we know the ones that died suddenly, or we know the ones that have suddenly had a severe attack of myocarditis, but where are the children where it's not yet evident, and when will it appear, and how many children is that? This is just lunacy to require this shot for these children. Again, folks, you're listening to Understanding the Times Radio, Jan Markell. In studio, Twyla Brace, cchfreedom.org, Citizens Council for Health Freedom. I'm transitioning here. We're leaving the injection issue. And I want to ask you for a few minutes anyway about long COVID. Let me read what you write about long COVID. Some people may not even know it exists. You actually are experiencing a little bit of long COVID to my knowledge. I don't believe I have, obviously. It varies with individuals. You say long COVID in particular because most people don't know about it and many don't know they still have it or what to do about it. And then you say more than 16 million people have long COVID. You say, I'll bet millions more don't know they have it. And they're finding the spike hanging around inflaming tissue a long time, causing ongoing microclots and thus a menagerie of symptoms. Talk to us a little bit about, we can start with the symptoms. Some call these victims long haulers. I think it's obvious some of my listeners could have this. They don't even know it. Yes, I wish I could remember exactly who talked about the fact that they feel that people post-COVID who have had some symptoms continue on have just incorporated the new you into their lives. They used to be able to walk four or five miles. Now they can only walk one. And they're like, I guess that's what I can do now. Or they've got a cough and it persists and it persists. And they just think, well, this is just a ramification of COVID. And they aren't doing anything about it because they don't think that there's anything that can be done about it. So they're just living this new them as though this is what they're stuck with for the rest of their life. And they don't realize that there's something called long COVID that they could actually be addressing. And there are more than 200, well, certainly more than 200, but some say 215, some doctors say 250 different symptoms of long COVID. 
So it's all different parts of your brain, your gut, your extremities, your skin, your cardiovascular system. It just depends. And in my COVID-19 quick reference guide, I actually have a little bit about long COVID at the end because I thought they were such important comments for people to understand. Because some people say it's like a constitutional COVID or this other kind of COVID. And one of them really strikes the neurological system. So there are people who say, for instance, they've had COVID and they feel like their brain function is Mm -hmm. not quite like what it was. They can't remember as well. They still feel like they've got some brain fog, but they feel like they're done with COVID. But they're probably not done with COVID or they're exhausted. There are people who are disabled, completely debilitated by long COVID. It's been two, two and a half, three years for some of them. And they're still basically in bed, suffering, not knowing how to get better. The longer you wait, particularly for some of the symptoms, like for your lungs, you could end up with a fibrosis of a sort, depending on, are there microclots in there? I don't know. I just want people, if they have any symptoms, if they're not like they were pre-COVID, they should look into the long COVID guide that's at the flccc.net website. Let me just say who that is. That's the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care, and the website is flccc.net, flccc.net, that stands for Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance created by doctors who are, quite frankly, tackling long COVID. Look into it. Again, flccc.net. And I'm so glad you're apprising us of this. And I think you feel you might have a strain of this long COVID. Yes, it's been over a year now for me, and I'm really mostly over all the symptoms. But what I was telling you before we began that one of the key symptoms that people have had, they have Mm -hmm. many, but dysautonomia is one of them. So these things... What does that mean? Your body does certain things naturally. You don't have to think about it. You blink your eyes, your blood pressure goes up and down with when you sit and stand. It happens automatically. Dysautonomia is a disruption of that natural function. So some people have racing heart that just keeps racing with no reason, right? Or they can't get their balance. So all of these things that are automatic go a little bit awry. It's one of the main symptoms of it, but there are gut symptoms, there are the brain fog, there's all sorts of other ones. That's very helpful. All of that was new news to me. I believe I escaped without ongoing problems. I'm learning that is not necessarily the case for everyone. And if I could just say the flccc.net has different protocols. So they've been treating everybody for COVID and now long COVID and for vaccine injuries. So you can just look up the protocols and see what you can do, or you can find a doctor on their list of physicians. Okay, great. You can look into Twyla's book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records, cchfreedom.org. We've talked here for the first 45 minutes of the program. We've referenced, anyway, the fact that medicine has changed. It's changed certainly in the last 20 years, but it's changed big time, partly because of COVID. And it's not quite the way we remember it, which is tragic. I think what I'd like to do, Twyla, is just move here for a few minutes into the whole issue of digital IDs. And you've written about this. What I'm going to do is play a clip by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. And then we're going to come back and talk about it and how it applies to everything that we have in this hour. I really think it's one of your specialties. What I want to talk to you about today is uh, national or global digital IDs. Uh, We've talked quite a bit here on endtimes.com, at least I have, about, about central bank digital currencies. Everything's going digital. 
Uh, we're going to have, have digital currencies in the future. By the way, uh, China, just this last week, they passed um, $100 billion of yuan of their currency now that's been spent this year in central bank digital currencies there. And this is something that's happening all over the world. And we, we pointed out several times the importance of these because digital currency is trackable, it's traceable, um, it's programmable to what you spend it on, and it's expirable. It can expire uh, when uh, when they want it to, to go away. So that's a way to control people um, economically. But at the same time, all that's happening on the economic front, you have uh, national and even global ID systems that are coming in that are, that are digitalized. That again, just like this digital currency will be easily hijacked by the Antichrist in the end times uh, to control people's lives in every area. A couple things uh, just... Uh, caught my attention this week. One in Bloomberg, there's an article that says South Korea aims to boost economy with digital ID on blockchain. I'll talk about that a little bit more about what's happening in South Korea. There's another article in Epic Times that says Australia's new digital identity, one step closer to China. This, this person is warning that with this digital identification system, this will probably be tied eventually, as it is in China, to a social credit score where they'll re really have a increased control over your life and access to, to basic services. But one article that especially caught my eye this week on this topic is in an article called Biometric Update. And the, the, the title says, Gates Foundation commits 200 million to digital ID and other public infrastructure. And the article says this, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has renewed its commitment to digital ID, topping, uh, topping up its investment in the space as part of a total package of $1.27 billion in support for global health and development projects. Uh, this latest $200 million um, is for digital public uh, infrastructure. And uh, the article goes on to say that there's a there's a, a UN provision that set a goal of universal legal identity. That means digital identity, global digital identity by the year uh, 2030. Now, all of this is, is happening because people will say, well, this is a matter of, of helping the, the marginalized. It's to aid the marginalized. One in eight people in the world today have no formal method, uh, official method of identification. And so this is being pushed as a way to help marginalized people um, have a, an identification. They, they say that it's going to help those who are invisible become visible. In other words, they're going to move out of the shadows um, into the visible. It's also being pushed for convenience sake. Um, that you're going to have all of your data, all your information, your your health information, uh, voting information, financial information, everything will be accessed in one place in this digital uh, identification that you have. It's also being pushed as a great cost savings. Um, here's what uh, one person has uh, said about this, about the savings that it's going to bring financially. It says the World Bank calls digital IDs a game changer. McKinsey and company sees their potential to increase a nation's gross domestic output by up to 13% and cut business costs by trillions of dollars. McKinsey's estimate is based on uh, wide take-ups of digital IDs, saving time and administrative work, reducing payroll fraud, expanding consumer credit, facilitating trade, and spawning new markets. 
Every service that hasn't been able to tr truly transition online will now be able to do so. So it's, this is being pushed as just something that's going to help marginalized people have an ID. Um, it's going to be convenience, and there's going to be uh, great cost savings, uh, they, they, they say, uh, that's going to be associated uh, with this. All of this, we see digital currencies, but especially now this digital identification system that's being pushed by the Bill Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, the World Trade Organization. All of this will be easily hijacked by authoritarians and ultimately uh, by the Antichrist. You think about a digital identification, a global di a digital ID joined with a digital currency that will be a double threat to freedom and will play right into the hands of the coming Antichrist. And also think about this, when there's this global digital ID, there's all kinds of things that can be attached to that. It'll start out just being an ID to make it easier to travel and easier to vote and um, have your medical records there on all this in one place. But all kinds of things later can be attached to that, such as your carbon footprint. When they decide that uh, you're using too much uh, uh, fossil fuels, there can be a carbon footprint attached there that if it's too high, the number's too high, certain goods and services will, will be denied. Uh, they could have your vaccine status on there. In other words, have you been vaccinated? How many boosters have you had? And if you're not up to date enough, then again, certain, uh, certain things can uh, be denied to you. And ultimately, I believe, even like in China, where there's this social credit score, that also can be attached to your digital um, ID as well. And it will flag you and you'll be denied access and be denied services, which is exactly what Revelation 13 says, you can't buy or you can't sell without the mark of the beast. In other words, you're gonna be trapped. And so that's where all of this uh, a digital momentum is really headed, the convergence of digital currencies, digital IDs. It's headed to the empire of the Antichrist. What we're seeing today is setting the stage uh, for what's coming. And again, should remind us even more clearly uh, that the rapture of the church is at hand. You are listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. That was Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Many of you heard him in a number of my conferences are on air with me. And I have in studio with me from Citizens Council for Health Freedom, co-founder Twyla Brace. Twyla, you write fairly extensively about this digital. You say this, the entire premise of the bill that it will protect from ID theft, it's fraudulent. The further you move towards digital IDs, the easier it will be to commit fraud and identity theft and impose outside control. We didn't have ID theft until computers and digital data became prevalent. And then you say, backing up Mark here, digital means accessible from anywhere in the world. It does not mean privacy or security. So give me your thoughts <laughs> on all of this. That is regarding this bill in Congress. It's the Digital Identity Act of 2022, and it is Senate 4528. That bill, which is a bipartisan bill, seeks to digitize all of your founding documents, and I mean yours personally. So your birth certificate, social security number, passport, your driver's license, all of this to be digitized. What Mr. Hitchcock said, that is so true. There's just this view like technology is this wonderment and we just have to do these great things to help all of this be easier and more convenient, but none of it is going to be good. And that is the thing to understand. And this is a bill in Congress right now. When people look at where digital IDs are, yeah. 
the first thing that they should look at is the push to a real ID, which started in 2005. And now you may or may not know that the real ID has been pushed back to, I think it's May of 2025. But we fought this tooth and nail. We're a healthcare policy organization, but we said no card, no care. That's where this is going to. If you don't have that card, you won't get care. We also knew it was going towards a digital everything system. For those of you who are listening and who are in states where you have an opportunity not to have the gold star on your card or in California not to have the bear, whatever it is, to choose the standard ID, even though it says not for federal purposes, that's the one you need to have because as soon as everybody gets a real ID, it will be easy for them to digitize the whole system and have a national ID system. The state should never have acquiesced to this. The Obama administration was very crafty to actually come up with this lie that you can't fly without a real ID. This was always a lie. Even the Department of Homeland Security had a whole bunch of other IDs that you could use. But it was very successful for them to move every state into bowing to the federal government to create this real ID system. So I believe the real ID system is the basis of digitizing everything. But there are other IDs, you know, like the unique patient identifier that's trying to digitize and create a federal ID for medical records. There's the digital driver's license that some states have. And that's another way into that. And so you can see in states that said, yes, we're going to impose real ID. That's all the states, right? But some states still give you the right out of it. For those states who have the real ID and they have the digital driver's license, you can see that that is digitizing the real ID into a digital ID. And so this movement is far afoot. And all we as believers need to be aware of this and not look at it as just great technology convenience. The idea that it's going to be put on your phone makes your phone a tool of the government. This is where this is going. This is transitioning just a little bit here, but how close are we to socialized medicine? And I know that's kind of a complicated answer, but if you can simplify it as much as possible. We are very close to fully socialized medicine, although not the European type. We have the corporate version of socialized medicine, which is the health plan, which has been imposed both in Medicare, Medicaid, and through the Affordable Care Act, where everybody has to have a quality health plan. So that is the mechanism. It's the corporations running the government system, essentially. You're not paying taxes for it. You're still paying premiums. The health plans are making out like bandits. And at some point, it's possible that the whole system collapses or that the government chooses one health plan to run it for the entire country. However, our organization is working to build what we're calling a new framework for health freedom, a cash-based framework. At every level, we want to get the opportunity for real insurance to come back, the kind that pays you, and then you pay the doctor in the hospital. It's all cash-based, a parallel system to this corporate socialism. And that's really where we're driving as an organization because that's the only way to bring back freedom. I saw this on your website, cchfreedom.org, and you report that the Mayo Clinic wants medical records of everybody. What is this about? In the world. In the world. Yes. Their system is called Gather. So you can look at Mayo Clinic and the word Gather, and you will find this initiative of theirs. But there's a video where they're saying, we want to gather all the medical records of everyone in the world. And they call it a lofty goal. But it's not going to be as difficult as you might think, given their position in the healthcare world. 
And given the fact that we have HIPAA in this country, mm-hmm. which is actually a permissive data sharing rule, okay. not a privacy rule. I haven't quite left the digital IDs yet, and I've made a reference to Canada more than once here this hour. They are, how do I want to say it, they're ahead of America on this issue. I'm going to play one more clip, and then I'll come back and talk about that as well. Yesterday in Canada, Justin Trudeau met with all of our provincial premiers and basically told them that we will not be able to get funding for our health care unless the premiers agree to the digital IDs. I will show all the proof. Now, those of you who think that digital IDs are great, they are not. Let me show you what the what these digital IDs will actually entail when it comes to control. Here's an overview basically of everything that will be included in the digital IDs. This can be found on the WEF website and also on all of the provincial and government websites. You will have healthcare. You will not be able to access any healthcare without this digital ID. Financial system. You will actually not even be able to carry out bank accounts or carry out anything online regarding financial transactions. Food and sustainability. This says for farmers and consumers, you will not be able to get into stores you will not be able to even sell um, anywhere once they have this system in place this is where the digital currency will come in travel and mobility we saw that with the arrive scam app um, humanitarian responses which is basically just garbage it's in case something happens they will be able to track and find you um, including if you don't want anything injected in your body e-commerce you will not be able to shop online then you have social media platforms you will literally need this id in order to get tiktok Twitter or Facebook, no more fake accounts. You have e-government. So if you want your taxes done, any sort of benefits from there, you will need this. Then it gets even scarier. Telecommunications, you will not be able to actually get an internet provider without this digital ID and they will be able to track you. And then up there you have smart cities and we all know what those are. Those of you who think I'm lying, here's the federal condition in order for us to access our money, our tax money. This is basically a hostage situation of our tax money. And what you will see is instigators, government instigators under Twitter, under Justin Trudeau, that basically say we need to push our provincial um, governments to, you know, get the money so that we can spend it better. No, we don't. We actually need to call our provincial governments right now, today and tomorrow and every single day until they scrap this digital ID. They cannot pass this without our approval. So I need everybody in Canada to call your provincial governments and literally tell them that this is not going to happen. If we need to privatize, if we need to somehow get into a different system of healthcare, we need to do that. Okay, she was commenting, Twyla, on Canada, which she talked about is very tribulation-esque. It sounds right out of the book of Revelation. But I think the important thing she closed with is the only way to escape some of these things. Some of the other things we've talked about this hour, too, would be to get medicine back to what it used to be. And the only way to do that is a system like you're talking about, privatization. You call it the wedge. And that's the only way to get back to what we knew at one time. Otherwise, everything is big brother. It's all about control. It's leaping out of the book of Revelation, kind of on the ominous side. Yes, and so one of the things that I often say is that the mission of medicine has been taken over by the business of yeah. healthcare, right? But the business of healthcare is also in bed with the government. Yeah, we yeah. have to get back to cash and care, where the patient is the primary reason we have a healthcare system and the doctor is actually able to work in the interest of the patient. And not doing what the government says, not doing what the corporations say, 
it has to be back to where it was. And that requires cash and it requires freedom. And cash is freedom. It requires privacy and privacy is freedom. Again, folks, check out the website. You can contact Twyla through cchfreedom.org. You can find the paper she has authored titled COVID-19 Quick Reference Guide. You've had way over 100,000 people download that. Great info in it. Many people said if they'd had that, they would have spared themselves some misery. Yes, other people said it saved their lives. Check out her book, Big Brother in the Exam Room, and that's all about the electronic health records, cchfreedom.org. I'm down to a minute. Any parting comments? Go check out jointhewedge.com, jointhewedge.com, and you can find these cash-based doctors. We even have four cash-based pharmacies and several dentists and one surgical center, and our whole plan is to build. So if you know a doctor who's cash, ask them to get on the wedge, help them find patients, help patients find them. So jointhewedge.com. And again, as it concerns long COVID, if you think you have it or someone you know has it, frontline COVID-19 critical care, flccc.net. Twyla, thank you so much for coming in today. Appreciate it greatly. I'm going out with just a Bible verse because I feel Joshua 1.9 might speak to some of us today. There we read, Have I not commanded you to be strong and be courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remember that as we head into uncharted waters here, still in a relatively new year, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. We hope you'll stay in touch with us online through olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. You can call us Central Time at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. Write us through the mail at Olive Tree Ministries and Jan Markell, Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. If you miss a program, catch it on our website, olivetreeviews.org, and then to radio, or on our Rumble channel, or his channel, Christian TV. Remember that nothing is out of control because God is always in control and he is allowing everything to fall into place. Yeah.